You are now listening to the Animal Control Report. Would you like to find similar podcasts? Well, check out the Keep It Humane Podcast Network. All you got to do is go to keepithumane.com forward slash podcast network. That'll take you to our page that has a lot of relatable content. There's a few podcasts on there that you just might love. So check it out today. Good morning. All right. You're listening to the Animal Control Report with your host, Daniel Ettinger, and our special guest host today, Bjarna O'Brien. Welcome back to the show. You've been a guest before, and uh, Bishop is out doing Bishop stuff. She's a, she's a busy woman, so we got to give her, her her free time at times. So thanks for joining us as a guest host this morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited. It's going to be a good show today. Uh, please check out our website, keepithumane.com. Check out our Instagram and and uh, what is the other thing? Facebook. See, this is where Bishop's on. She's on me. She's like, hey. Um, our Facebook, the animal control report where we have some updates and things like that. So, uh, please check that stuff out. Um, we're going to talk a lot about some animal fighting today, dog fighting. So I'm excited to, to really introduce our guest and and just kind of keep it moving. So our guest is Terry Mills. Terry, welcome to the, to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. We're excited to have you. And I I think I kind of want to get started and and you and I met in a in Florida. I think it was Florida uh, this last year, right? And uh, kind of just talked a, l- a little about dog fighting and such. But uh, I'd love for you to let our listeners know your a little bit of your background. Well, I came uh, from a law enforcement background. I was a Missouri State Trooper for thirty two years, retired, and did a lot of undercover work. Eighteen years worth, in fact. Uh, my last undercover investigation was a dogfighting investigation. And so that's how I kind of got hooked up with the dogfighting world. Uh, it was, uh, it was a, I was assigned at that time to the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force in St. Louis. And we got information about a domestic terrorist group that was providing security for dog, at dog fights. And that turned out actually not to be the case, but we are, we are, we got involved in the investigation. And after four or five months, we found that out, but we'd also identified about, uh, half a dozen dog fighters in the area with huge dog yards, 40, 50 dogs, hmm. uh, pit bulls. So I, I, myself and a partner, old narcotics partner of mine, uh, continued the undercover investigation. So it went about. 18 months and we met uh, about a hundred dog fighters in eight states in the Midwest eventually and uh, after 18, 18 months of the investigation we took everything down with uh, 26 federal search warrants and arrested uh, the first the initial sweep was 26 dog fighters and eventually again got up to right at right at the hundred mark um, we seized uh, 530 dogs, pit bulls in one 24-hour period in those eight states. So it was turned out to be the largest one uh, in the U.S. at the time, and still remains. So, but uh, again, we uh, uh, carried on that investigation, and that's again, as I mentioned before, that's how I got 
got to know the uh, uh, folks in the animal welfare community. So I retired the following year after that investigation ended. And uh, the ASPCA hired me right up with the, <laughs> as, a, as an investigator in the world of dog fighting. Uh, since then, I've had the opportunity, I guess, to become, as they call, an expert witness, an ex subject matter expert. I've testified 30, 31 times as an expert witness in, oh, all over the country uh, as, uh, like I say, as a, as a dog fighting expert witness. Uh, that's, again, that's provided me the opportunity to meet lots of folks uh, in the, in the uh, animal welfare world and, and provide them with support and assistance. Uh, in areas that uh, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't that much uh, uh, knowledge, I guess. Uh, it's come a long way, and and I've been with the ASPCA for 13 years, and mm. it's so it's you're still current. You're currently still doing stuff with them, right? Yes, I am. Uh, yeah, as an investigator, I we don't work undercover. Of course, we're not uh, we're not a law enforcement agency, uh, but we do. My job is to provide assistance to uh, law enforcement, animal control. Anyone in the criminal justice system that has that, that requires assistance as far as animal fighting, dog fighting, and cock fighting investigations. I also do, as all the investigators do, we do uh, you know, presentations, workshops, and such. Uh, do presentations on dog fighting, cock fighting across the country. Which are incredible, by the way. Um, I met you actually when I went to the ACOM training in Massachusetts and you gave a multi-hour presentation on dog fighting and it was yeah, yeah by I far to... probably the best training we've been to. Well, thank you. I, I had the opportunity back in October, uh, one of the uh, uh, animal control folks up there that I'm friends with uh, that works, works with the Massachusetts Animal Control Association uh, set up three workshops around the state and I went three days in a row um, doing presentations and uh, and met a lot of folks up there. That was, that worked out pretty well. It's a busy week. That's a busy yeah. week. <laughs> I've been, so I've been reading this book. We've had uh, Ernest Freeberg on the show. He wrote a book called uh, A Traitor to His Species. And it's about Henry Berg and kind of the foundation of the ASPCA. And it's fascinating because it goes back, you know, into the uh, 1800s and, and kind of how it all started. And for those that don't know, Henry Berg shut down one of the largest uh, animal fighting operations of all time, it, it, even at that time, um, which was obviously pretty big. Uh, this guy named Kit Burns, and he was a, a well-known animal fighter, and they would do uh, like ratting. So they would put, you know, rats in a, in a pit and have dogs kill as many as they could. And, and then they would have sanctioned dog fights, etc. And so it's just it's cool to see that almost... You know, 150 almost 200 years later that we're still you know working in that same capacity trying to get these people um off the street so um thank you for continuing to carry on that you know having that ability to to really a stop it but also teach all of us um you know better ways and, and, and new ways to stop it as well so uh, i think that's really cool Absolutely. I mean, I, I just can't, I feel like I'm meeting a rock star sort of because with all the work you've done, 
and how it ties back to, as Danny was just saying, the history of animal control um, and animal welfare in general. It's pretty amazing. Now, if I can just jump into a question, what do you generally look for when you're trying to initially start identifying dogs that may be used in fighting? What are some of the first signs? Well, I get uh, investigations in, in, in several ways. Uh, we get we get calls, of course, as being the ASPCA, people call and report uh, animal cruelty and, and uh, animal fighting. So it, it can start that way, which again, we don't we don't self-deploy, so I will, would immediately get a hold of, after doing some background work, immediately get a hold of uh, the local law enforcement or state law enforcement mm-hmm. or federal. We work, we work with them all uh, in, the, in the particular uh, animal fighting investigations in a particular area. Uh, we also, of course, get calls from the law enforcement and animal control that have initiated an investigation or has, have information about dog yards or cock yards uh, and such. So that I would usually that starts with, uh, you know, how much information they have. Do they have fresh probable cause? Uh, is there, you know, someone we can interview? Has somebody been in the dog yard? Those, those types of things um, to try to get that fresh information, get things going and work up to a, uh, a search warrant. And uh, seize the dog yard. Most of our 99.9% of our cases are made, uh, animal fighting cases, are made with a search warrant. Uh, people, you, you want to think that we can, we, we take down fights as they happen or as they're going on or as they're breaking, as they start. And that, that does happen occasionally, but that uh, that's a very dangerous situation. Uh, you can imagine. Uh, imagine, you know, there's probably, you know, anywhere from, you know, I've been, uh, I, I, let me add that fact of those uh, in the undercover world when I was working the dog fighting investigation. I went to 86 dog fights. I saw 86 dog fights. Yeah. And so I've been where there's 10 to 15 people in the room uh, watching the dog fight, fighting their dogs up to 40 and 50. I've been on the, in East St. Louis where there's two or three street gangs representing themselves at dog fights and the, and the building was just absolutely packed. So again, taking down a dog yard, uh, and, or I'm sorry, a dog fight as it happens, it can be very, very dangerous. So we usually do the search warrant on the dog yard itself. And we make that case on the, on the dog yard with the dogs and the equipment and such that that's, that's seized, uh, at the time of the search warrant, you know, this, you have, of course we have, uh, as you know, we have you know forensic vets that come in and and uh, you know examine examine the dogs on scene and then do you know thorough examinations uh, once we get them to the shelter. Uh, cases made a lot of times just by the scarred dogs and and the equipment and uh, again some of the social media information that we we we've gleaned uh, you know as a part of the investigation itself. Going back to something you said, though, um, when you were talking about search search warrants and getting in and, and, you know, getting those people and not necessarily busting the the fight in progress. One of the things, you know, this is the 186th or 7th episode, somewhere in there. And one of the things that through all the shows we've ever done, and and we've done a lot, and we've had amazing guests, 
but something that just sticks with me that we we had on a, a few years ago, we had David Hunt on, uh, and rest in peace to David. He passed away uh, just a few years ago, but um, he uh, investigated several dogfights as well, and uh, he mentioned that he would often go to like police or sheriff uh, association meetings, and they would say, David, uh, you need to catch the dogfight in progress. If you don't see it happening, you can't prove it. And so David was a homicide investigator prior to getting into dogfighting. And he was like, look, he was like, I investigated homicides for 21 years. He's like, not once did I ever catch somebody, murder somebody in the act, but we were able to prove it, right? And so it's the same thing with dogfighting, right? There's a, a, a myriad of evidence, if you will, that you can look for to compile to, to then prove that somebody is either in most states have this law. You can't transport, you can't breed, train, etc. Any any dog used for fighting. And so what are some of those like like obviously I think where would you start? Like new and old scarring on a dog that's a fighter? Like Terry, what's a good place to look for some of that? Uh, yeah, I've heard about you know, if, if, whether you're is a private citizen or law enforcement themselves, uh uh, of course, the dog of choice in the United States is, is the American Pit Bull Terrier. So uh, lots of pit bulls, lots of pit bulls on heavy chains. Uh, they're, they're separated, of course. Uh, uh, and I mean, probably most dog yards have the dogs on heavy chains about just a walking path between them, uh, maybe a foot or two between each chain length. Uh, where they can almost get to each other, but they can't. And so that provides that, uh, that, that aggression. Uh, so again, those dogs, you look for scarred dogs, uh, either injuries that, that have, you know, fresh injuries or, or actual old scarring that's occurred. Uh, there's things like, things like uh, 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 spring poles that you'll see in the backyards or in the basements. Uh, where they'll actually have a uh, a rope or a device that's hanging from the rafters or a, a limb of a tree, uh, again a rope coming down with a spring device on on it. Uh, it may have a piece of rawhide at the end. Uh, they leave those up. So if you can, if you look in the backyard, you're going to see those hanging from the limbs and and uh, from rafters and basements and such. Uh, where the dog can jump up and and get a hold of that rawhide and hang on, and that builds up that jaw that jaw muscle, of the dog, the bite strength of the dog. Um, treadmills, whether there's a self-propelled treadmill, uh, you know, in the backyard, uh, or an electric mill, a electric human a human electric mill that they've converted, and the conversion process would look like there's a wooden box that's on top of of the mill itself, and uh, the dog would be placed in that in that box and tethered uh, tethered to that box where it, where it would be made to run. I always say this in my presentations that uh, I ask how many people um, like to work out and exercise, and of course you get a few raise their hands like that. I said, well, uh, most a lot of dogs will you know, get on a self-propelled treadmill and run all day long. I've seen them, I've seen them do it uh, get, to get them in shape. I said, but like me, I'd hate to work out. You'd have to put me on an electric mill and tether me to a mill to make me run. 
and that's how some dogs are. You put them on a self-propelled treadmill, and they just stand there and look at you. So uh, you'll see human human uh, uh, electric mills uh, that are, have been converted. Uh, oddly enough, uh, wash tubs <laughs> that sit around in the yard. They wash their dogs prior to the fight, uh, and that's I know it's going to be hard to believe, but uh, not all dog fighters are are uh, honest. Um, no. <laughs> they will, uh, uh, prior to the fight, the dog fighter will do what they call rubbing. They'll actually put some type of uh, chemical on their dogs, like liquid nicotine, liquid visine, mm-hmm. in places that the other dog's going to bite. And that burns the other dog's mouth. And, of course, then it won't bite. So what the dog fighters do to combat that is they actually wash their dogs, each other's dog prior to the fight was either soap and water or milk and water, something to combat that chemical if it's on there. Uh, that's, that's pretty typical uh, prior to each fight, uh, contract fights anyway. Uh, so you'll see those wash tubs. How organized it is. I'm sorry. Again. Oh, I said it's, it's surprising to me how organized it is. I mean, it's a really thought out well, process. It's very organized. You know, in fact, uh, you know, there's a, uh, in, to get into it a little deeper, uh, there's what they, the dog fighters call a keep, K-E-E-P, and that's where they take that dog, the dog that's going to fight that they've arranged or have a contract fight arranged, uh, they'll take that dog and keep it away from the other dogs for usually about five to eight weeks where they put it through a real rigorous uh, training uh, process of, of, like I say, running it on the mill, Walking at first, just like you would any athlete would do to get ready for an event. Uh, start off walking, then they'll put it on the mill. Uh, they'll also uh, put a harness on the dog and put weights on that harness. Uh, I've seen them put uh, logs, uh, wheels, axles, anything to make that you know dog have to pull a heavy weight around and around the yard to build up those muscles. Again, most of the time it's on, on a treadmill. Um, so you'll see those kinds of things, you know, in the dog yard itself. Um, of course the, uh, if, if you've got, they've got lots of room, they'll have what they call a, a, a Jenny mill. Like you see a, a circus where the, with a horse tied to it and it goes round and round the circle. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's kind of a, uh, carrot and stick type thing where they, they'll put, uh, uh, they'll tie I've seen them put either a live animal at times, uh, chickens, in a cage in front of uh, in front of the uh, in front of the dog to make it run around and around this mill, or or a lot of times just a, a piece of meat or rawhide or some blood on it, uh, again to entice the dog to chase that uh, and go around and around the mill. Again, those mills take up a lot of room, so you're going to have to have a lot of space. Do, I, do any of them have a carry mill? I say again. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> that was I, funny. I couldn't help it, sir. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, they got I know. a Terry Mill when they went to jail, I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> talk a little bit, uh, Terry, about what um what what are some of the typical like medication or uh, like supplements that you'll see dog fighters use maybe during the keep or after fights or, or things like that? Uh, they'll typically have uh, any kind of medication that, you know, combats uh, uh, 
fleas or you know bugs of any kind around the dogs uh they go to the farm stores and uh buy medications that you know that treat cattle or or uh, horses and such uh, antibiotics of course uh keep them on antibiotics uh, uh particularly after the fight because they've obviously been bitten and chewed on and uh topical type uh wound treatments uh, anything uh They'll, most most of them will have uh, uh, an IV kit. They'll start IVs because they've during the keep and to get weight off the dog, they've they've restricted the the fluid intake. Uh, so immediately after the fight, if the dog won, uh, of course it's a one-time winner. Now it's a valuable dog, one-time, two-time winner, champion dog, three-time winner. Uh, so it's a valuable dog. They'll start an IV immediately after the after the fight to get fluids back in the dog. So you'll see IV kits. Uh, you'll see staple staple guns. Uh, uh, any type of uh, again treatment for for wounds. That purple lotion is very popular uh, that they put on dogs, uh, sporting dogs too, of course, but uh, uh, particularly dogs that have been in fights. So that's where we're going to see the difference from like our, our breeders or more backyard breeders, um, compared to dog fighters. Like I know breeders might have a large amount of those medications. If I'm visiting as an ACO, a location where dogs are being bred, but then we're, we're seeing IVs or as you said, the purple lotion and stuff that's a little bit more intense, maybe some, um, some enhancement medications. Would those be the kind of differences we'd look for to indicate dog fighting instead? Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, again, the I I grew up uh, bird hunting, and uh, we always had pointers and, and bird dogs, and uh, they get tore up running through the brush. So we're very familiar with the purple lotion coming into this, but uh, uh, topical treatments, you know, they that, that you're going to see those, you know, with dog fighters all the time because again, they're treating they they rarely, if ever, would take their dog, of course, to a, a veterinarian. Uh, because the obvious, uh, the veterinarian would know it's been in yeah. some type of fight, of course, and so they all, they all at least think they are. Uh, I used to call them shade tree veterinarians. <laughs> they all think they're, they're very good at it. Most dog fighters do, anyway. I think they're very good at treating their own dogs. But uh, of course, steroids, you know, anabolic steroids. Uh, um, okay. Most dog fighters. You know, worth their salt are gonna are gonna put the dog on a steroid regimen during the uh, during the keep itself, and uh, get that dog prepped for the fight. Um, okay, so that's something I'd look for. Continue. The uh, one one thing that they you know it's kind of uh, it's somewhat of a myth, and I know they used to do it uh, is give them that you know the dogs. Uh, you know, some type of illegal drug like methamphetamine or cocaine, but that they've known, they found out that that uh, makes the dog hot, burns them up, as, as the dog fighters call it. Uh, so that that's really not used. Uh, I, in, at least in my experience, I've never, I've not seen it used uh, at all. So, Say I but, go out on scene for an uh, alleged dog fighting location, like not an actual fight in progress, but they're housing these dogs. And I get out there and I see some of this stuff, but maybe not all of what we're talking about. And then they're like, well, I mean, I use my dogs to, to bay hogs, right? 
that's a that's a big thing now. I'm sure you right. have that problem in North Carolina, huh? Um, right. Uh, how do I? What's what are some of the differences I should look for with a hog bang dog versus an actual dog fighting dog? Well, you some of the uh, scars on the dogs, as the vets will tell you, uh, are linear scars, obviously from the from the hogs themselves. Um, uh, it, the injuries are, are actual, you know, bites uh, where the dogs have been bitten. You know, they've bitten each other. Uh, I've seen dogs that have been involved in, in hog dogging, as they call it. And I've seen, you know, obviously hundreds and hundreds of dogs involved in uh, dog fighting. And there's a difference. I mean, just the bites themselves. You can tell they've been chewed. The uh, they have what what's called ringing, where the the dog gets a hold of the other dog's leg, and it of course it's twisting, trying to get out uh, of that that bite. So you can see that type of injury on the dogs on the dog's legs. Uh, just just the usually the massive amount of scars and dogs where you know I've I've seen dogs you know in dog fights that last a few minutes. And the longest uh, dog fight that I ever witnessed was two hours and forty-five minutes. So they can they can really cause a lot of damage to each other in that length of time. Uh, I can only so, imagine watching something like that. Yeah, it's how. Um, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, how do you manage that emotionally when you are investigating that and you have to be in that world? How do you handle well, that coming out of it? Again, I came from. Law enforcement, not to, not that all law enforcement officers are jaded, but uh, yeah. uh, I did work, you know, undercover uh, narcotics for 18 years. I worked uh, uh, in our major case squad, uh, mostly homicides, uh, for five years, uh, and then uh, you know, the Joint Terrorism Task Force. So I've seen a lot of, uh, uh, you know, bad things. A lot, yeah, bad things, a lot yeah. of what, what people can do to people, other people, you know, and that's terrible. Um, but I can tell you this, uh, I, I tell this too in my presentations that uh, I, I uh, being jaded, uh, my first, the first uh, cases or the first dog fights, you know, my partner and I would, you know, watch the fight, uh, gather what evidence we could, the videos and such like that, write the report. And we're done, just like we would any other narcotics case or work a homicide or, or whatever. You process your evidence, uh, write your report, and you're done. But after, you know, a couple fights went to, my partner and I were standing along the pit wall there and looking at each other going, this is crazy, you know. Look at what they're doing to each other. So it did, it did, it does get to you, you know. I, I can tell you, though, that, you know, you do just what you do with, in the in undercover drug buy, uh, you know, you just, you know that uh, uh, eventually you're going to get to arrest them. And, uh, and so you kind of keep your emotions in check at the time. So it's not, it's, not, it's not for everyone, I assure you. <laughs> let me, let me ask this though, from like being in that environment, um, doing undercover work, did you ever feel unsafe? Well, again, coming from uh, from nar- narcotics world, uh, buying mm-hmm. 
you know, I've worked, uh, you know, outlaw motorcycle gangs, organized crime, bought every stolen piece of property you can imagine, every illegal drug on the street in that length of time. Uh, so, yeah, I've been in, you know, dangerous situations in that. Uh, so it kind of just bled over. You got, you just got to stay on your toes, you know. Um, uh, every, the, the difference is, somewhat the difference is at, at dog fights, there's uh, valuable dogs. There's everybody's got money because you know they're betting, betting on the dog fights. So everybody's got a gun. You just have that in your mind that that's the way it's going to be. So uh, you just stay on your toes. So you know you're always you're always uh, on point, if you will. You're always looking. Uh, they do just what drug dealers do. Uh, they're leery of you at first if they don't know you. Dog fighters are. Uh, we've been searched, of course, for for uh, for electronics. You know, I've been called cops, of course, uh, times. But uh, you just kind of work through so that. scary. So, yep. So, how do you use? I know that you talked a little bit in your initial presentation that I went to in Massachusetts about social media and how dogfighters use that and maybe how animal control officers or law enforcement officers can use that as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, of course, you know, Facebook's the big one, but there's all kinds of, uh, every, almost every state has, has a, uh, a chat room. You just got to get on, you know, as you will Google it and start, start looking for the chat rooms to get in where they talk about, uh, I mean, they're in some chat rooms are very open about just talking about the, the, the dog fighting itself, you know, of course, they're not going to pin themselves down to any specifics. Uh, but uh, sometimes they do. They talk about, uh, you know, uh, different techniques to, to shape the dog, get the dog ready for fights, uh, how to treat dogs' injuries uh, in these chat rooms. Uh, of course, if they're yeah. a breeder, dog fighter and a breeder, where they're actually selling dogs, they've got to they've gotta advertise you got to get the word out that you've got dogs that have some uh, credentials that that uh, that have you know it's it's lineage has won fights it's mother father grandfather grandfather grandmother have won uh, have won some fights so uh, that gives that dog some credibility. Uh, so it's so, not just the bloodlines of the people that are carrying forth the dogs, but the bloodlines of the dogs as well. The same DNA that they're trying to breed and sell. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, bloodlines, <laughs> bloodlines very important. You know, again, the uh, the fight history of the dog and uh, the bloodlines themselves go way back. You know, we we know the you know bloodlines that go back from the beginning. You know, if you will, uh, up through the through the years. There's dog fighters that that have been known, you know, to have particular bloodlines and sold hundreds and hundreds of dogs from their bloodline uh, for 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 lots of you know. Uh, lots of profit, if you will. Um, yeah. I'd like to touch on one thing uh, as far as animal control guys, uh, officers, and police officers that are that go to dog yards, uh, either by virtue of, of of an inspection, whether it's an annual inspection or rabies ins inspection type thing, and you you happen onto you know uh, a backyard fully chained with with chained dogs. Uh, Decisions have to be made. Obviously, the, the you know, as an officer, you're standing there looking at the dog. You might see scars. A lot of times, the dog fighters will keep their scarred dogs in the back of the of the uh, 
of the yard itself and keep their younger dogs up front. Uh, Away from sight. Obviously. But, uh, the, you know, decisions have to be made then. Uh, do I shut the place down and try to get a search warrant? Do I leave? Uh, what do I do? And I just like to, uh, to say that obviously those options are all there. Um, uh, you, may, you may want to see what you can see, uh, either whether it be equipment, treadmills standing around, spring poles hanging from limbs, that kind of thing. Uh, not, in, not give any indication at that time uh, you know, that, you, that you know about dog fighting even, uh, that you're just looking at the dogs for whatever reason that you're there, whether it was a barking, you know, whether it was some type of call that you went to, or, or again, some type of inspection. So a lot of times it's better to walk away at that time and then, uh, uh, again, uh, get, get as much information as you can and uh, be able to write that search warrant up or get a hold of, of, of deputies or police officers. I'm not sure. You know, it depends on what your situation is as far as whether you can write warrants or not. But, uh, again, sometimes it's better to walk away from it there. Or, again, if it's, it's injuries that, that are very, very obvious, you know, shut the thing down and, and call in the troops, you know, but uh, one of the things I'm, I'm getting at in this is that if you're standing there looking at 30 or 40 dogs, uh, you know, what are you going to do with them? Does your, does your, uh, if you shut the thing down and immediately get a warrant and start seizing dogs, can your shelter handle 40 fighting dogs uh, as evidence? And that's a, it's a big difference between handling dogs that, that have just been brought in and, and put in the shelter and handling dogs that are that are evidence uh, in a criminal case. So uh, right. uh, those are decisions, yeah, that have to be made. So I want to think through those before you jump to conclusions. Um, we, uh, you know, then again, uh, in the big investigation, you know, I've talked about the 500 dogs, of course, those were spread out in, in a few states, but uh, we've been involved in investigations where, you know, the Alabama case years ago was a th there was 367 dogs seized out of 14 dog yards uh several where we've had over 100 uh through the years 100 dogs so you have to have your shelter you know for our in our case we you know we we establish a temporary shelter get a warehouse convert it to a to a shelter uh so it takes a little bit of time of course and uh so we just want to make sure you're you're prepared. Uh, Terry, how would we, like, let's say we, we get into a situation like that and then we're like, man, this is big or this is something we've never done before. We need the assistance of the ASPCA. Like, how do we go about reaching out and then what kind of services are offered uh, in that scenario? Um, as mentioned, I think before in, in your previous guest, uh, you know, we have the uh, websites that we, that we go you to can. and I think if you can put those, probably still have those. Oh yeah, down the uh, ASPCAPro.org and uh, the uh, Legal Advocacy and Investigations website. Dot investigations uh, immediately, but uh, I, you know, I get called directly by law enforcement. You know, a lot of times. I, I guess you know it's been around a while now, but um, immediately get on the phone to either someone with the ASPCA who can get, get them in touch with us. But that website uh, immediately would be, I'm sorry, the uh, email address 
I guess the website would be, be the, the first, you know, the first contact. And uh, once once we get, you know, are notified of it, we can start making arrangements if, if we can vet the case. And, and what that means is the section I'm in or the division I'm in is legal advocacy. Uh, I work with a bunch of attorneys and uh, our, we have attorneys assigned just, just to review cases, you review search warrants and such, review the investigation to see if, if it's one that we can get involved in. Um, so it would be uh, an immediate contact and then it's going to take, it's going to take a while, you know, we can't just, you know, jump in the truck and head that way, although I can usually uh, and do get there first, especially if it's one that's already, you know, active, that's already been seized or, or search warrants happening at the time because I get calls sometimes with from a police officer or, or, or a deputy and I can hear the dogs barking in the background <laughs> so I know I know he's on scene and I know he's stressed <laughs> trying to figure out what he's going to do next so uh yeah the, the quicker we can get called the better it does take us you know a while to get geared up and get our trucks and transport vehicles rolling get the forensic vets scheduled um and uh, the, the uh, seizure team and such. So uh, the quicker you can get a hold of us, the better. If if and I do caution folks, if you uh, the quicker again, the quicker you can get a hold of us and get us involved, uh, uh, the more that we can you know obviously plan plan the investigation and plan the uh, the, the actual seizure and and such and uh, get a get a shelter established, temporary shelter established, or, you know, be able to transport our dogs to, to a shelter that we have set up already. Got it. You, you briefly touched on forensics. Um, what does that look like? Like what are the forensic veterinarians typically looking for? Well, we'll always have, uh, one or two, maybe even three, uh, forensic vets on scene that, that will be there on the, the search warrant, initial walkthrough uh, to assess the dogs to make sure that there's none that need immediate treatment. Uh, but eventually, the the vets will examine the dogs on scene, in their environment where they live, and including you know their housing, dog houses, uh, to see if there's any type of uh, of uh, injuries that's caused that can be caused by a you know. For instance, I've seen, you know, nails in dog houses that cause carring on the dog uh, as they enter and exit their, the dog house as such. But they'll, they'll uh, document the, uh, the environment they live in and uh, examine the dogs on scene. And then when they get back to the shelter, each dog will be thoroughly examined by a forensic vet. Uh, and all the scars and injuries uh, will be documented by charts and photographs and such. Uh, very important. They write reports. I've seen three and four hundred page uh, forensic vet reports where there's, you know, we've had 30, 40 dogs uh, seized. Uh, so they do have, our vets do a you know, very thorough job. Uh, it's extremely important in the prosecution of the case uh, to have that vet get on the stand and, and talk about the scars of uh, the dogs that are involved in, in dog fighting. 
I, not to change the, the topic too much, but I had a local legislator here come to me and ask a question yesterday about what they should know or what they could possibly do to start changing dog fighting in their state. Like what can we do or what should legislators know about dog fighting? Well, first they, they should know that it's happening. I mean, uh, I, uh, I hear all the time uh, when I talk to, uh, I go to conferences and, uh, you know, try to you know, talk to a sheriff or talk to a deputies and police officers. But we really don't, I get, I get this all the time. Well, we don't have any of that in our, in our county. We don't have any of that in our city. <laughs> it doesn't exist. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. We don't, we just don't come across it. It's happening, you know. Uh, I always joke that uh, it, whatever city you're in within, Within several blocks, there's a basement full of pit bulls, you know, somewhere within just a few blocks of, of a, a house or a backyard full of pit bulls, uh, or woods, that kind of thing. So I'd want them to know that, that it is happening, that uh, it's, you know, obviously very secretive, very, it's a, it's a subculture all its own. Uh, they don't want, you know, Michael Vick was, was, was bad for them. <laughs> yeah. put dog fighting on the map, you know, and. And uh, made it, made it, made it known. Uh, and uh, they don't like that. They don't want that. They don't want. To, they don't want to be popular. They don't want the, obviously the law enforcement to know. They don't want their neighbors to know. Mm. So it's going to be very, very secretive uh, subculture. Very, very secretive uh, uh, illegal activity. Um, they should know that it. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of obvious to say, but there's, uh, you know, other crimes involved, you know, if you're a really good dog fighter, you can make lots of money on the dog fights themselves, on the breeding and such. If you're not and dog fighting is in your blood and you want to keep dog fighting, but you keep losing or you lose dog fights, you're going to do whatever you can to make money to keep, to maintain your dog. So there's other crimes involved, uh, whether it's, uh, drugs or, or, or stealing or, or such. Uh, I can tell you again in our 18 month investigation, my partner and I bought almost every legal drug you can imagine that we bought when I was in narcotics. We bought at dog fights or from dog fighters. So, uh, so that's then, almost and, another way to sell it to um, our legislators because as much as I hate it, not every person cares as much about dog fighting as the people in my circle do. Um, but if we're able to sell it as a, but this searching into or researching into dogfighting can prevent drug deals. It can prevent X, Y, Z other crime. Perhaps we can get more work done towards ending it. Yes. And that's, 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 that's my sales pitch as far as contacting law enforcement. A lot of the times is, uh, I get a hold of their narcotics unit, their undercover unit, you know, or the street crimes unit and go, you know, if you find that dog fighter, you're going to find drugs. You're going to find, you know, folks that are involved in, in, in other crimes and such, the vice units and such. Uh, so, yeah, that's a that's a good sales point as far as uh, investigating dog fighting. You're going to find other crimes for sure. Um, gotcha. Yeah, so I'll definitely use that. Yep. Terry, this has been great stuff. And I think for our listeners, you know, there, there may be some that have, participated in, in investigations, started their own investigations, or have just been, you know, uh, 
around it. I think we often hear this term from the public and I think it's a misconception. They're like, that dog's so scared and it has a few like maybe old scabs or scars. Like it had to have been a bait dog or they're stealing this dog for the, for a bait dog. Uh, Just to talk a little bit about that. Is it true that most uh, fighters will use their own bloodline as bait dogs, the ones that they uh, cur out eventually, or like, how does that work? Bait dog is a term that's very overused. That's, that's the first thing that you just mentioned. That's the first thing that'll come out if they find a dead dog in a ditch. Uh, that's mm. all beat up, all scarred up. Um, that dog, usually that dog that's scarred up, that's found dead in the ditch or found wandering the neighborhood, all scarred up is a dog that just lost a fight and, uh, they dumped it. Um, the, I, in my experience, uh, I've never, never, ever seen a dog fighter use anything other than another pit bull in a dog fight. They're not going to steal the neighbor's cat for the taste of blood. Now, the only exception I can say is maybe a street fighter that, that, uh, you know, is not steeped, if you will, in the culture of dog fighting. It doesn't know. It just does whatever he thinks he should do, you know, that kind of thing. But almost all the dog fighters I've ever been involved with, investigated with, investigated, uh, again, will use their own dogs, or they'll actually have days where they will meet at at a, at a dog fighter's place. Uh, several kennels will come in, several guys will come in with three or four young dogs or three or four dogs that are inexperienced. And they'll have days of, of the roles. That's a type of fight, R-O-L-L, where they'll just roll. It's kind of like an educational training fight. Okay. They'll just put the dogs. There's no betting going on. They're just uh, providing that dog some experience to see how that dog's going to fight, see what kind of characteristics, what kind of traits it has. Is it going to be a leg dog, you know, an ear dog? Uh, what's it? How's, how's it going to fight? So they will just have... You know, again, but they're all pit bulls and they're all, you know, they're all fighting, uh, you know, fighting either uh, the young dogs will put young dogs on each other to see, you know, again, if they're going to fight or not. And then call those dogs that do not fight. Uh, they don't, dog fighters not going to feed a dog that's not going to fight. So mm. an up and coming young dog, if it doesn't fight, they'll call that dog from their, from their dog yard. You, you said something, and we didn't really break it down. We don't have to go into too much detail, but we have our street fighter type of dog fighter, our, hob, our hobbyist, and then our professional. Do you want to just give a quick, maybe a, a, just a kind of quick overview of, of yeah, those three? Uh, yeah. Uh, again, you know, I always say in my presentations, you know, that the government's got to categorize everything, one, two, three, ABC, <laughs> and that's, uh, that's what they've done with dog fighting. Uh, they do have the professional dog fighter who's, you know, is going to have 30, 40, 50 dogs. He's probably going to fight, you know, not maybe not every week, but he's going to have a dog uh, in keep all the time uh, and uh, probably have yard boys or uh, yard people that help him uh, take care of his dogs. Again, just for the sheer number of dogs that he, that he has. He has a, a known bloodline, uh, selling dogs, breeding dogs all the time. So that's, that's going to be the professional. And then you're going to have the next category down would be the hobbyist. Uh, and again, these numbers aren't exact, but you know, he may have 15, 18 dogs or so. He's probably going to fight three or four times a year. Uh, because if, 
these keeps are very intense. Again, five to eight weeks every day you're 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 shaping that dog. You're doing something with that dog, so uh, they're they're very intense and time consuming. So that hobbyist is probably going to again fight three or four times a year, maybe maybe more. Uh, have a dog and keep, uh, uh, you know, sporadically, I would say. And then, and then, as I mentioned, the uh, street fighter, he may have a dog or two. Uh, he had, he's usually not, again, steeped in the culture of the dog fighting, the old dog man, the old dog world. Uh, he just knows that uh, he's got a either a pit bull or a bully breed dog. A street fighter, you'll see sometimes, you know, not, not pit bulls. and have the other bully breed type dogs with the big, you know, chain collars or studded collars on. Uh, that type of thing, walking down the street. Uh, he's going to fight, you know, in the alleys and the street corners for, you know, money, territory, dope and such. And again, those are, those are the guys that kind of throw the, uh, the, uh, the old dog men culture, if you will, you know, off. You know, they're going to do whatever they do to fight a dog. But, uh, and then I always say there's, there's been a fourth category since, since, since Michael Vick came, came around that, uh, of the, uh, entertainer or uh, usually drug dealer with lots of money that wants to get into dog fighting but absolutely knows very little or nothing about it as Vic didn't uh, know anything about it he had you know his his relatives and and folks around him that that uh, that helped him uh, you know buy a dog spend his money if you will uh, so you have that that type of category there uh, we've been in the Alabama investigation that I mentioned earlier was was that they would have uh, uh, there was dog fights from big drug dealers from uh, Florida to Texas and such that would meet in Alabama and fight and they, uh, you know spend a lot of money lots of big bets you know, in, that, in that type of investigation so um, uh, but yeah those are the those are kind of how it's, it's broke down as far as the dog fighters. Now, I remember street fighting dogs you, or dog fighters you talked about in your presentation in Massachusetts, and you discussed the the new style of just taking a car, having loud music, and then sticking dogs in the, the trunk. Can you mm. describe that a little more? Because that, that's well, something it, I feel like we should look at. It's called trunking, and there's folks that, you know, uh, in the humane world that don't believe it happens, but it does happen in some of the larger cities because I know... Uh, Miami actually has, Miami-Dade has ordinances or, or laws, I should say, against specifically against uh, trunking. And I think New Jersey does, uh, has state laws. So there, uh, it, it has, you know, it does occur. We don't come in contact with it that much, but yeah, uh, most of the dog fighters in the, uh, in the urban areas uh, need a place to fight. And that's how kind of how trunking uh, came about years ago was, uh, was the place you know they just put the two dogs in the in the dark trunk and and shut the trunk lid and and drive around and let them fight uh, uh does it is it still happening i haven't known in any cases recently but has it happened yes and you know can it obviously uh, so yeah i i don't even as a blood sport if you will i don't understand that at all because you're not getting to watch <laughs> you know the dogs actually actually fight but uh, if it's a win-loss and, and just a matter of a bet, then uh, obviously that, could, that type of activity could be used. I mean, crime knows no boundaries, right? No, no. So, 
I'm not surprised that they would go that route. Well, Terry, this has been great. Uh, just before we go, I just wanted to see if there was anything you wanted to make sure we, you know, we covered or if there's something we missed. Um, now's the time. Um, no, I, I, you know, uh, I'd say if you have any questions, again, I've, I've mentioned, I, you know, I'm, I'm quote been, and it's not all it's cut out to be, be called a subject matter expert sometimes, especially as an expert witness, you defense attorneys can beat you up on the stand pretty good. Um, but, uh, uh, I've had that, that privilege of uh, being involved in this now for many years, and uh, by virtue of being around it, I've learned learned a lot. So, if you have if there's ever any questions, uh, again through those avenues of, of the websites and such, uh, please uh, please get a hold of me or one of our investigators or just the ASPCA, and they'll they'll eventually funnel those questions or your contact information to me. Uh, it happens all the time, almost every day. So uh, I'd be glad to be glad to help. Don't hesitate. In fact, uh, okay. Thank you. I know that there was also um, a DVD that you had that with some of your your training on it. Is that something that's still available for ACOs to reach out to the ASPCA for? Oh yes, for sure. Uh, you know, we try to do you know as much as we can. I got I uh, you know make most of the conferences the big you know, uh, animal control conferences and uh, law enforcement conferences. Uh, and if, and, you know, if they ask, we certainly would put on any kind of presentation. I'm not scared. I have an, I have an email address at the ASPCA and I don't know if it's, you know, I know some would be scared to put it out there, but you know, you're not going to hurt me through the email. <laughs> <laughs> All that spam that we already get. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm easy. Terry.mills at ASPCA.org. I'll answer any email I get. So, uh, you know, as, as they say, reach out to me and uh, I'll answer the questions best I can. If I can, I'll get a hold of somebody that, that knows the answer. And that was terry.mills at the ASPCA.org? Yep. yep. Cool. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you for taking the time out to record with us. And, and this stuff, I mean, this is what we do, why we do it is really to provide th this quality, you know, investigative type programming like we want people to know what to look for on dog fights and you know you're gonna get that tip i mean i, I think that's the biggest thing is like you're not i mean it, it, you could stumble upon it but most likely you're gonna get a tip right i mean is that from your experience is that kind of how it's going to go down I, the probably the number one way is is obviously the tip that you get that uh, someone suspects dog fighting or knows you know the uh angry girlfriend or wife <laughs> mm. that calls mm -hmm. in, but, uh, probably as half the dog yards that we go to, uh, law enforcement has served a warrant for something else, uh, drugs, and they stumble upon the, the dog, the dogs in the backyard in the backwoods. Uh, they go to a domestic where, you know, obviously the couple's been fighting and there's pit bulls in the backyard or they see equipment. So it, it starts as something else. And that, and that's one of the things that, uh, and, and not getting detail here at the end, but just uh, caution folks on is uh, if you're there for some other reason on a search warrant, just please make sure that if you find the dog yard and and you want to make that case that you get this, that you go back and get another search warrant for the dogs and for the dog yard yeah. itself. Right. Uh, a lot of times uh, dog cases are, 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 are tossed because they're there for something else and they just continue to seize, uh, you know, dog related evidence and try to make that case without the, without a warrant. 
for that particular crime. And uh, so that's, that's just, you know, word of caution. That's great information. Absolutely great information. Excellent advice. Well, we appreciate it. Uh, you're, you know, a friend of the show. You're always welcome to come back on. Or if we have a case we need to break down or something comes up, we'll definitely be in touch. Yeah, do that, please. And I appreciate you guys for doing this. Thank Absolutely. You yeah, it's it's great. And, and I know, you know, we've, you know, our listeners have, have, you know, definitely been in touch about getting more stuff like this on. So we, we definitely uh, appreciate the, the time for sure. So cool. Well, thanks again for, for joining us and check out the website again, keepithumane.com. We'll put some stuff in the show notes to make it easier to connect with Terry and the ASPCA. So check the show notes for that. And, uh, yeah, we, we appreciate it. I, it feels weird without Bishop doing the ending, but as we always say on the Animal Control Report, thanks for listening and keep it keep humane, humane. Thank you very much. Thanks, Terry. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye.